this, every Jewish, like we have the Lord's Prayer and we have, you know, now I lay me down to sleep and our fa- we, have, we have different things that we say sometimes. Um, the Apostles' Creed. This is the Jewish thing to repeat over and over again. It's huge. I think as Christians, it's good for us to know this. Uh, so we're going to dig into this today. Um, we're going to dig into an issue of what the Shema teaches about parenting. Parenting. Good for parents. Good for grandparents. If you're a crazy uncle or that crazy aunt, great for you. Um, if you're a parent in a mixed marriage, maybe you have an unbelieving husband or, or wife. This, this could work in your situation. Or maybe you're a single parent. This could help you in your situation as well. It's a great teaching, one of the greatest teachings in all of the great teaching of Scripture. So, have you ever, anybody here, a daredevil, like, you'll try something without really knowing how to do it, and you're like, oh, I could totally help with that, and you get into a situation, you're totally stuck. You ever do that? I'm that type of person. Um, I was working at the eye care place, and we have a machine. If you have macular degeneration or something like that, or diabetes or something, you have done this test called the PHP test, most likely. And I remember as a new manager at, at the eye care place, um, they're like, man, we need someone to do this test on this person that was a nervous wreck. And I'm like, nobody's around to do it. I'll do it. So I went in and did it, you know, being the brave, foolish manager that I was. And I'm in the back of this room, and I'm looking at this machine, and I had absolute. Now, this is a person's eyes that we're dealing with here. It's a serious thing. And the person's nervous and confused already. And I just confused them even more. And we're, we're in this room, and I'm explaining the best I could how to do this test that they asked, the doctor asked me to run on this person. So I'm explaining it. And it is so funny because it was totally not, not the way to do the test. I see just drawn. I don't know if maybe you've done this test where a, a light flashes. You press where the light flash. Some of you are nodding your heads yes. I told them they have to draw the line that shows. Anyhow, um, so I'm told, and they're drawing, and, and it keeps changing screens. It's a hot mess. And finally, one of the nurses comes in the room, and she goes, she looks at me. She goes, and she wanted to respect the manager. She goes, can, can I help out a little bit? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, let's restart the test. Here's how to do it. And she looked at me like, you idiot. What'd you do that for? So anyhow, I tend to jump in. And in the church, it might be kind of like that. We're told to reach our children, reach our families, reach those young in the faith for Christ, train them up in the way they should go. You know that passage. And if you're like me, that's missing in, our, in Christianity. I don't know if you've noticed that, but discipleship's missing. And um, it's great. Great, I want to do it. So I'm going to train up my child. I hear the verse, and I'm all gung-ho about it. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. So what I do is when I do something wrong, I get mad, and I snap and yell at him because, after all, isn't the Lord angry? And he likes to, s- no, not really. But that's why, you know, I, I don't know what to do. So it's kind of like God said, do this. Or the church said, do this, but we really don't know how to do it ourselves, maybe the church has said, and, and you'll just have to kind of figure it out as you go. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I went on my first date to Kristen, with Kristen Stecker, was her name. It was God's will that we dated, because after all, we were next to each other in class pictures. And, I mean, she was beautiful. Her power bangs flowed in, in the wind. 
And, and I was like, man, Kristen Stecker. And I would just stare at her, and she would stare at me, and that, you know, that special, whatever that feeling, butterfly, I don't know what you call it, butterfly. Too young for hormones, I was in fifth grade. So I'm like, I'm going to ask her on a date. And so I went on my first date in fifth grade. I'm not promoting dating in the fifth grade or period. That's too much drama. But I decided I'm going to take her on a date. So I said, Kristen Stecker, will you go out with me? She says, yeah, where are we going to go? I'm like, I haven't thought that far yet. I don't know what I'm doing here. And I said, let's go. Let's go to Taco Bell because I really like Taco Bell. So I, my friends and her friends, we all rode our bicycles to Taco Bell. And they sat on one side of the restaurant, and the guys sat on the other side of the restaurant, and that was our only date with Kristen Stecker. I, I had no clue what I was doing. And this is a great passage where God is teaching, here's how to disciple your children. Here is how to disciple your grandchildren. Here is how to handle it when your spouse wants nothing to do with what the Lord wants you to do. Here's how to do these things. Here's how to be the crazy uncle who speaks into your nieces and nephews' lives. Here's how to raise up this new Christian that you're friends with that you want to help grow in their faith. So it's the Jewish Shema. Let me read it for you. In fact, let's stand for the reading of the Shema, this great passage. Stand in honor of God's word and in honor of the Lord. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in the command you give the direction, the how-to. I thank you for your word. I thank you for being a God who allows fallen people to love you. Help us to learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, a little background of the Shema, this passage here. Um, This is a prayer that is said daily. It is said twice a day. The mikvah teaches pray it twice a day. They pray it in the morning, and they pray it in the evening to end the day. It It is the most important part of the prayer service in Judaism. Similar to the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, I Lay Me Down to Sleep, that we do uh, in Christian circles today. Now, as with every prayer, for most people, this has become a rote prayer. Or as humans like to do, it became a magic spell to people. Uh, Similar to the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, I was raised a little bit as Catholic. And when you sinned, what did you do when you went to confessional? What did the priest usually tell you to do? Penance. You got to make up for it. Say, for me, you know, if I was to go there, I was too young to go there, but if I was to go there, be like, you need to say 400 Our Fathers and 5,000 Hail Marys is what you got to do, Buster. But you would do these Our Fathers. And I was just talking to a girl this weekend, um, college senior, 
And her friend prays Hail Marys all the time to try to get close to God. And she's like, she just feels like her prayers are hitting the ceiling. I said, that's because they are. They're, they're, they're Hail Marys. They're not to God. They're to Mary. And Mary doesn't, she's not in the same role as the father is. And um, she, she is fervent, all right, but it's become rote or it's become magic spells, a manipulation, if you will, of God. If I do these, say these prayers, then God is obligated to answer my prayers. This Shema is a rich part of Jewish culture, and as Christians, we can't be ignorant. We should be uh, very knowledgeable, almost memorize it. Uh, This is a passage that is a great help, and it's a great deepening of understanding our own faith. It's It's a prayer that Jesus has used in his teachings a few times in the Gospels. So how does it help us with parenting? Uh, Lesson number one. The Shema teaches in the beginning that we should let a love for the Lord start with you. Nothing worse to me than someone telling me I should live one way and they live a total opposite way. It's got to, if you want to raise your kids to know the Lord and be passionate for Jesus... It starts with you, personally. It begins by saying this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, the word hear means to listen, to pay attention, take heed, to focus. Benjamin, come up here for a minute. Benjamin used to do this when he was a kid, and it was a great illustration. Benjamin, when we were busy doing our thing, you know, back before cell phones were real popular or anything, Benjamin would want us to pay attention, to hear what he was saying. Do you remember what he used to do? So he would come up to us, and he would go like this. Go eye to eye and say, hear me. Hear me. And I'm, okay, Benjamin, yes, 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 go ahead. Okay, get up and see things. But he would, he would grasp, come right up to us, grasp our cheeks and say, hear me. Maybe you, any parents do that with your kids. You get on their level and you're like, listen to me, <laughs> you know. Um, that is what God's doing here. He's saying to his people, hear, pay attention. This is really important, Israel, is what he's saying here. That's what it means to hear. Hear me. Listen, Israel. The Lord, our God. The Lord is one. There's two ways to translate the phrase one here. Some translate it as, this speaks against the upbringing they had in Egypt, against polytheism. It's translated, the Lord is one. You can also translate it, the Lord alone. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone is God. That teaches of his exclusivity. Exodus 20 says, you shall have no other gods before me. So, is it teaching against putting God on a shelf with the other gods like the Hindus do? And like the Egyptian, Egyptians had all these gods. You know, does it add the Lord to the pile? Or is it the Lord is one or the Lord alone? I think it's both. I think it's left ambiguous here because the teaching is, yes, the Lord is your God. The Lord alone is is God. There's a good picture I, I want to put up on the screen. Uh, it's a picture of a solar system. Let me illustrate it like this. A lot of people, uh, if you're looking at the sun, a lot of people live their lives as if they are the sun. They 
are the center of the universe. And these planets are the things that they need to do in life, sports, work, eat, sleep, Facebook, stuff like that. <laughs> On these planets, one of those planets for a lot of people is God. All right? God does not want to share with anybody. God doesn't want to be one of the planets ordering you, you being on the throne of existence. God wants to be the sun of your life in which everything orbits around him. Does that make sense? All right. So you got to move from yourself or things being in the center. Move God from the planets. He is the star of your life and things revolve around what does he want? What does he say? What is he about here? Open up your Bibles to Joshua 24. In the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Joshua 24, verse 14 through 15. Okay, so Joshua is with the people of Israel, and he's offering them a challenge. He's saying, I need you to make a choice. Are other things or other gods going to be the center of your life? Are you going to follow them? Or is the Lord going to be the center of your life? Are you going to follow him? So he gives Israel an ultimatum and has them choose. Let me read this to you. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So my challenge to us this morning, to you individually, is Who's your son? Who, who does, right now today, if I was to ask you right now, personally, one-on-one, we were having coffee, and I asked you, who's the son? What does everything in your life orbit around? What would you say? And Joshua is challenging the people of Israel. God needs to be the center. You're God. He's the one. You follow him, and everything revolves around it. So he's asking them to make a choice. And I want to ask you to make a choice. Are you going to serve God? Is he going to be your Lord, your leader, the one you worship alone? Or do you want to remain status quo as where you're at right now? Make the choice. You have to make the choice. We all got to make that choice. But make your choice. The Lord is our God, our deity, the one whom we look to and follow. There is none other beside him. There is nothing on the same level as him. It is a no compromise commitment to him. So some thoughts here. Is there anything that takes priority over keeping God at the center of your life right now? Do you find yourself compromising your commitment to obeying him because of other things that creep in? Jesus called these things weeds, and they creep up. They do. They de- definitely do, with, at least with me. You know, I'm chugging along, following the Lord, trying to honor God, and all of a sudden, weeds start to grow. 
they start to block the sun, the star. They start to block my view of God. You know, needs of the kids. My own personal needs of peace and, and a nice day and, and finances and stuff like that. What are some of the weeds that grow up in your life that tend to crowd out God from being the focus of your life? What are some of those weeds? Write that down in the bulletin. What are some weeds you have? We all got weeds that pop up. Is it a dandelion type of weed? Is it a thorn bush? What type of weeds pop up that drown out God in your life? Uh, In parenting, if you want your kids, your grandkids, to even be interested in Jesus, then you need to be interested in Jesus. You set the example. Let me give you an illustration. There's a family member uh, and friend of ours um, where growing up, and we watched her grow up from a little girl. She was always princess. I'll call her Princess Veruca. We'll just use Veruca. Willy Wonka quote here. And uh, she was real little, and her parents had Veruca in the center of their heart. Do you ever see those Indiana license plate that say children first? I hate that license plate. I know I sound mean, but... They had her at the center of their hearts. And whatever dear Veruca wanted, dear Veruca got. There was no saying no to her. I remember one time we were going out to a restaurant, and they made a turn and and went off course from the direction of the restaurant we were going to. I'm like, I told you, what in the world are they doing now? And guess what happened? Veruca, when they were headed to the restaurant with all the family going with them, Veruca thought, I don't want to eat there. I want to eat somewhere else. Mom, Dad, I want to eat somewhere else. Okay, Veruca, whatever you And they turned around the car. Didn't they ask the family, do you want to eat somewhere else? No, because it was all about her. She was the center of their universe. Now Veruca is in college. She hates God. She, was, she put a picture on Facebook this week of a cross upside down. Raised in a Christian home. Hates anything to do with him. Living with an atheist right now. Here's what happened, most likely, to Veruca. You could probably follow what, what, what happened to her. She got out of the house, and God was not about to let her be the center of the universe. I will not share my glory with another, the Lord says. So, in God's heart, it's not about Veruca and whatever makes Veruca happy. Right? So what happens when she prays and she really wants something, and God doesn't answer the way she wants it answered? What happens to her heart at that time? She gets ticked off. God's not there because he won't answer my prayers. God doesn't care about me. He must not exist. Because after all, isn't he here to worship me and to meet my needs? Veruca's heart, because her parents had her at the center, what did Veruca learn? It's all about her. And if God's not going to worship her, then she wants nothing to do with that type of God. Right? Can you see that? Another one is uh, there's a family who... I'm going to knock on sports here a little bit. You know I like sports. I'm a great basketball player. <laughs> Not really. I'm like, anyhow. Um, I noticed in my years as a youth, youth pastor that there were some families, they would be at church, but when basketball or volleyball season came, they weren't there. They were never there during sports season because sports took priority over being in fellowship. We know that in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, Do not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. The Lord wants us to be a part of a local body. When a church meets together, we meet together. And we're nice. We meet on small group, and we meet on Sunday morning. Back in the day, we were like, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. 
back in early church, it was like temple each day, house church, you know, during different days of the week. We're that pretty easy here. But some can't even do the Hebrews 10, 24, 25 today. And their family was one that they were always gone. Of course, I'm preaching in choir because they're here this morning. Um, they would be gone for months at a time with these travel sports. And nothing wrong with travel sports, but there is something wrong with the Christian who commits himself to the Lord and doesn't do what he asked them to do. He wants them to be a part of the body for very many reasons. And so guess what happened? Guess what the kids didn't do when they graduated from high school? They didn't go to church. They didn't read their Bible. They didn't pray. They were not into God. Do you know why? Because that's what their parents taught them. God is a low priority if it fits into our schedule. They learned the exact lesson that their parents taught them. And they lived it out. Now their parents are grieving. Why are my kids in church? Why are my kids living with so-and-so and such-and-such? Why are my kids not interested in the Lord at all? Why are my kids, why don't they call me during the week? Why don't they honor me as their parents? Because you taught them not to. You taught them that God is not something that's really important to pay attention to. So now they live that way and the de- parents have to deal with it. And that's going to be their legacy to their kids. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You, as a Christian, set a great example for your children and grandchildren when you fix your eyes on Jesus. They may or may not follow. Chances are, um, I was talking with J.D. this week, uh, David Jeremiah said he has never seen a family that has followed the Lord has been balanced in their Christian life and, and has seen the kids walk away. I don't know that I would, I think I've seen a couple that haven't followed the Lord and their parents are pretty good Christian parents. But generally, I see uh, the principle of if you train up a child to know the Lord, follow the Lord, you're doing it yourself. Generally, they, they stick around or they come back around. Um, James Dobson said 80% of rebellious teen, 80% of rebellious teens at some point come back around to following their parents' faith that the parents had. So there is some hope in that. But whether they follow or not, at least you're not a stumbling block to them, right? At least you set the example of where their focus should be. And as you focus on him, the cares of this earth are kept in proper perspective. Uh, Shelly, our friend, is grieving over her daughter, isn't she? Constant conversation about, oh, my daughter, oh, my daughter. She's really struggling. But as she starts to focus on, as, as that girl moves out of the center of her heart and Jesus moves into the center, she'll get that proper perspective that she needs. Going on, the passage says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. How do you raise up your children, your grandchildren, etc.? By you loving God more than X. The word all is repeated three times. First, all your heart. It's the Hebrew word leb. It is the inner man, your will, your understanding. To the Hebrew, the heart means the mind. The intellect is the heart. All your soul. That's with all your breath, your passion, your emotional center is your soul to the Hebrew. All your might. That's your ability your force, your abundance, your resources, your influence, or some people translate it, or muchly, with all your muchly. You know, all these things I mentioned before, do that muchly, do that greatly. 
can be translated as well. Now, why mention these three different areas? Why not just say, love the Lord with everything? Why mention these specifically? And why do the gospel writers add mind? Why do they add mind in this passage and have mind in there? Uh, in the language of the Aramaic and Greek, the writers were sharing the intent of the Hebrew in the New Testament. Total commitment in every area to the Lord is what they're saying here. How much should you love God, love the Lord, with all your mind, with all your will, with all your breath, your passion, with all your emotion, with all your resources? All of it is for him. Do you ever see the movie The Stand by Stephen King? I don't know if I'm supposed to mention that in church, but I am. Anybody see it? Raise your hand. Come on, confession time. We couple this. It's a great movie on the end times. Kind of weird. Um, there was a guy named Trash Can Man, and all he would say in the movie was, my life for you, my life for you, my life for you. He was, and it was the Antichrist, wasn't it? Which is not good, but his life was totally devoted to his master, to his leader. Be all in. Kurt, you say that a lot, all in. That's a phrase that I remember about you. <laughs> Be all in, consistent. Choose who you will follow and then do it. Nobody likes a hypocrite or what James calls a double-minded person. You say and do one thing, then you say and do the opposite. You ever see that person on Facebook? They're like, praise Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord, the blood. I and then they're cussing the very next post on Facebook. You ever see that before? It's like, you know, pick something and go with it. You know, at least be consistent. James calls that person a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. Choose who you will follow and then do it. Luke 14 says, um, if you're going to go to war, decide if you could do it. If before you make your choice, consider, can I beat this army? If you have more troops, yes. If you're better equipped, yes. If you're not, don't do it. Do something else. Have them build a wall or something. Jesus says, choose, you know, count the cost. Is it worth it to follow the Lord? Uh, speaking of walls, in Scotland, there was a building. Um, it was McSomething's Folly. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, all the Scottish names. <laughs> um, it's a building that they spent great money building this huge monument to someone. And they didn't consider the cost of the building project. And there it stands to this day halfway finished. It is a monument, okay. What's the monument of? This person had no idea what they were doing, you know. Jesus says, count the cost. Jesus says, weigh it out. If you want to follow him, follow him. But consider that there's a cost to that. If you're going to choose Christ, if you're going to be all in, then be all in. Quit being double-minded. Make your choice as a person. If you have been baptized, if you confess Christ, then you've confessed Christ. Live it. Grow it. It is who you are. You are a child of God, a follower of Jesus. Do it. Plug away at that. Quit being wishy-washy. Now, the word all, all your heart, all your soul, all your might, there's a warning to this. Before I was a Christian, I did not struggle with temptation. When I, before I was a Christian, if I wanted to do something, if I want to look at something inappropriate, say something inappropriate, do something inappropriate, 
you know, break into something, whatever, whatever I, whatever I did. There's a list of what I've done. I don't want to get into that. There'll be no one here. Um, <laughs> I just did it. There was no temptation. I just did what I wanted to do. But there's a problem when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And I was living the center of my universe. But when the Holy Spirit, the Lord came into my heart, into my being, the Lord said, I want to be the center, Jeff, not you anymore. You need to move on out of here, and I'm the center. So there became this conflict in me. There was the flesh who wanted to do these cravings, these impulses, the emotional things. But then there was the Lord who was like, that's not really a good idea. So I became, I got into this life, and I still am there where there's a battle. The flesh wants this. The natural man wants this. But the Lord in me wants to do this. He wants to be the center. My flesh wants to be the center. Before I was a Christian, no problem. Now that I'm a Christian, that's a struggle. It's a struggle of who will be at the center. It's a struggle of who will I worship today? Who will I worship moment to moment? When that person's a slow putz in McDonald's line getting breakfast, do I step on their heel? Or do I wait patiently like the Lord wants me to be patient? It is a sometimes a moment-to-moment decision i got to make. When you challenge yourself to be all in for Jesus, you may discover that you are really or have been all in for yourself. You may have been all in, all about comfort. Your own comfort might have driven your life. Peace at all costs might have driven your life. Your reputation, how others perceive you, might have been the focus. Control, so that you could have a nice day, may be the focus. Respect or pleasure, having a nirvana life. (laughs) There was a man who I was counseling once who wanted his wife to submit to him because he wanted to be served and believed that he was to be the center of her universe, her first love. Guess how that worked out in his heart. <laughs> Woman, give me some food. You know, he, he would have a command. Woman, I command you too, I've heard. Or, women, you just need to submit. I've heard that before in, in conversation with people. Woman, do this for me. And what happens when the wife thinks, listen, Jack, who do you think you are? You're not the Lord, <laughs> you know. What happens if he's the center of his own heart in that marriage? If she's supposed to worship him. When she doesn't, he gets mad, doesn't he? And then he starts saying stuff like, you need to respond to my leadership as the man of this household, right? And then where does that go? The woman starts meeting with our lady friends about counseling and prayer. And the man's like, I ain't doing that stuff. You know, it becomes a hot mess. But when the Lord is a center, that stuff works out a lot differently. You know what I'm saying with that. We need to let Jesus break us of ourselves. We need to orbit ourselves around God. When we do that, he will be able to reflect his light on you. And your family will notice that. Most cases, that change that's going to happen in you when you let the Lord be the center of your life is very attractive. I met with, worked with many non-Christians who 
as the days I let Jesus shine through me, loved them, cared for them, served them, were patient with them, that drew them. Most, most, not everybody, but most were drawn to that type of person because God is the center of their heart. Same would probably happen to you as well. Okay, going on. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Psalm 119 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We show love for the Lord by hiding his word in our heart or in his mind. So the question is, how do you get something written on a, from a book, how do you get it to be written on your mind or in your heart? Uh, this is the biblical principle of meditation. You've got to choose to meditate, to think about it, let it mull over in your mind, to ruminate, to hide it in your heart. You're ruminating, ask the question, what does this passage mean? How does this look in life? What do I need to do about it? Am I honoring the Lord in this? We hide it, we etch it onto our hearts and our minds by applying his word. Instead of simply hearing some preacher babble on and on, you listen carefully and think, how can I apply this to my life? When I was in high school, when I started reading the Bible for myself, I challenged myself every time I read it to live it out. And it was fun. I had a blast doing it. I still have a blast doing it. It became like a daily challenge for me. Maybe that's a little competitiveness I have in me. But try that yourself. That's how you etch it on your heart and mind. The Jewish people would go to synagogue. The Christians go to church. Not out of passion sometimes for some people but out of duty. They hear the word, not out of a craving to learn and to listen or to be confronted, but out of duty. Assuming that God is somehow pleased with that duty. They may go to church weekly, as is good to do. But the Bible collects dust because they aren't really into it or are too busy for it, which shows that God is not at the center of their heart or their priority, doesn't it? That person is the hypocrite. Question, are you a hypocrite? Do you go to church, but you don't live it out the rest of the week? Do you do it for social status or something like that? The Lord wants us to love his teaching. How do we get to the point of loving his words? One, put God in the center of your solar system. Two, Mark 9 says this, Lord, we want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. I oftentimes will say, Lord... I don't feel like reading your word right now. I don't feel like praying to you. I'm kind of feeling bored with it right now. I'm not really getting anything out of reading the Bible right now. I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling right now. I pray that to the Lord. That's okay. You can confess to God. God, I want help. I want to enjoy the Bible. I want to enjoy praying. I want to enjoy your word. But I don't. It's boring. Do you think God doesn't know that about you already? (laughs) Confess it to him. Get honest with him. Mark 9 says... Lord, we want to believe. Help us in our unbelief. Number three, commit to daily reading of some sort. Number four, fall in love emotionally with God. I do this through um, being thankful every day. By picturing heaven, picturing walking with Jesus, cooking some fish on the shore of Galilee with him. I picture that in my mind. Um, I recommend going on a trip um, to visit Israel. Uh, Ray Vanderland has a ministry. 
I think Rock Point is doing a trip coming up to Israel. I heard about yesterday. Do a trip to Israel. If you could swing it at all financially, it will really develop a love for the Lord and a love for his word in you. Fifth, commit to daily challenging yourself to apply his word to our lives. Now, lesson number two. I better watch the time here. Let me know when I'm up, J.D. Lesson number two. After you get this down, after you're loving the Lord, without this love for the Lord, they're going to see right through your, your facade. You know what I'm saying? If you love the Lord, when you love the Lord, then you could go on to lesson number two from the Shema. Let that love uh, for the Lord overflow into life. Here's a picture of a child holding a cup. And the man is, or the woman is pouring uh, from their abundance into the child's cup. And it is overflowing as well. Good symbolism here. But let me read this to you. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And so talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up. When I went to Israel and studied the Shema, totally changed the way I disciple my family. Totally changed the way I pastored. Uh, to those under my care. I went from feeling pressured. I felt pressure I had to take them through a program. I have to take them through this study guide or that study guide. I have to do an official James Dobson family devotional at dinner in order to qualify as discipling my family and training them. You ever feel that pressure? When I learned the Shema, it totally freed me of that pressure because it teaches do it as you walk and as you sit and as you lie down as you rise up make it a part of your daily life don't make it a structured kids i'm gonna ask you to be vulnerable do you like sitting through a 45 minute parental devotional usually let's see your heads yes of course you do Um, (laughs) this teaches that's that's great a 45 minute devotional is great as long as you know how to teach kids at at your at their age Um, but generally this is teaching Just do it your day-to-day. Make it a part of your life. In fact, your overflow for your love for the Lord is going to spill out on your family. Uh, This teaching diligently means to take care. It it has a consistency to it. Um, I I had a friend over, Andrew the Atheist, my friend. I, I know I mentioned him before. He said, how dare you vote your conscience? How dare you vote your morality on other people? I'm very pro-life. And he said, how dare you vote to make pro-life the law of the land? Who do you think you are to push your values on others? And in the conversation, I was kind of like, I'm not sure how to respond to this, you know. Uh, But later, I had a great idea. (laughs) And I thought, wait a minute here, pal. I thought this to myself. This one in front of me, I'm too cowardly for that. I, I thought, so you could vote your values, but I can't vote my values? Nice try with your little manipulative tactic there. I'm going to vote my value for crying. And uh, he was trying to roll me and control me and say, you've got to vote the opposite of what you believe because you don't want to push on others. And he also said, who are you to push your religion on your children? And I was uncomfortable with that. And later I thought, wait a minute. I want to push my religion on my, uh, my children. I want them to know Jesus. Why? Because I believe God is wise and his ways are life-giving. And I know that the wages of sin is death. I don't want my kids to die. I don't want my kids to go down a path that hurts them. Of course I'm going to teach the ways of the Lord. Of course I'm going to vote what I believe would be best for this country. And uh, we're not friends on Facebook anymore. 
because I did not, I did not allow him to be the center of the universe and, and his opinion to be God or gospel or anything like that. I want to teach and share that wisdom because it helps them. I, I love the Lord. I want him to know. I want them to know his ways. I want them to be healthy and have wisdom. You bet it comes out. Teach them diligently to your kids. Also, talk of them. Talk of them through life. When I was in college, there was a friend of mine, Joel, who had a crush on a girl named Joy. Do you remember this, J.D.? Did he talk about Joy very much? Did he talk about anything else besides Joy? He did not. He would even listen to, uh, oh, Journey. He would, I, I came to my dorm room once, and I hear rumbling down. I had this awesome speaker system, and I heard, Highway Run. And it, all this Journey music's playing. And I'm like, my goodness, what's going on here? Walked in the room. He's sitting in the windowsill just looking off, ruminating. And, uh, hey, Joel. He goes, I got to do it. I got to. He goes like, he's in the window. This is just too great to pass up. He's in the window, still, and he's looking out the window, you know, listening to Journey. And I said, hey, Joel. And he turns and he goes, she's beautiful, man. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget that. Uh, he was smitten with joy. No pun intended. I guess no pun intended there. And he would just talk about her. And he'd lay in his bed, and he'd have, you know, he'd, he'd have the, they'd sleep with each other on the phone. And uh, I remember him saying once, mm, the sound of your breathing is so soft. And, and I'm like, this is gross. And this is disgusting. I think I threw up a bit in my mouth. And uh, <laughs> he was smitten. If you even have close to that love for the Lord... <laughs> You bet it's going to come out in conversation. And you can have that love for the Lord. It's not something that's out there. This looks like talking about it in your day-to-day. Now, a lot of times with the kids, we'll be working out with weights. I'll be like, hey, what are you learning for devotions? You know, and, and let them answer. They probably, I probably put you guys on the spot when I do that. And sometimes I'll, teach, I'll talk with Shelly. Shelly and I have never done a particular devotion together because it seemed awkward. Although it's probably a good thing. We just haven't done that. But what we will do is I'll say, hey, what you... What have you been learning? Or, hey, I've been learning this in the Bible. I just kind of talk about it throughout my day. Um, it's become a lifestyle for us, not just a service <clears throat> that we have. So some people don't know where to begin. How do you disciple your kids and your grandkids? How do you start? The question of not knowing, it's a very fair question. Here's some thoughts I have on maybe how to start uh, bringing the Lord into your daily life with your kids, grandkids, uh, those of you who led to the Lord. One, spend some time, come up with a game plan so that you could teach them something diligently. I have a game plan I've written down for my kids, uh, what I want them to know about the Lord before they graduate from high school. I didn't get it from someone. I just kind of made it up, just thinking about life and, you know, what they're going to have to deal with. Two, share what you are learning in your devotions with the kids. Now, teach them to do devotions, by the way. Three, have some formal times or not. Don't feel pressure, but formal times are great. We usually do them before bed. Not every week. Not, probably about three times a week, I'd say. Four, care enough to study how a child thinks. Teach so they get it. Use object lessons for the kids are a good example. Don't use abstract stories till they're in high school. Uh, Micah came up to us once, and I said, Micah, how did Jesus die? And I use a lot of analogies and abstract thoughts, you know, because I'm an adult, and that's how adults think. Micah's like... Micah was not getting it. One time he came up and said, he was eaten by a wolf. 
And I'm like, oh, he's missing the boat here on something. Kids learn concretely. If you have a little kid, teach them concrete object lessons. Don't go in this deep symbolism and stuff like that. They'll get confused. Learn how to teach the age of your kids how they learn. Five, take time to study them, your kids. Listen to their stories. Ask them how their day was. Let them be the start of the conversation. Teach them how to keep Jesus at the center of the day-to-day through discussing situations that they f- deal with. I ask the girls and boys every day, how's your day, 1 to 10? And they'll answer, and the girls are always 7. Ellie's always like, 4,000. And I'm like, what's your biggest struggle? Did you get beat up today? You know, just something to kind of start off a conversation. And if they're struggling with, Benjamin was struggling with the guy who, what did, you, what did we call him? The Bible guy? He, he was an atheist. We called him the Bible guy. He would ask Benjamin about the Bible. So we would have some good conversations based on Benjamin telling me about his day. Let them, you know, kind of set the agenda what they're dealing with. Uh, maybe a good, good tip. Number six, when you sin and when you blow it, which you will, be quick to reconcile vertically with the Lord, but also horizontally with your kids. Don't be beyond getting on your knees before your kids saying, I blew it. Daddy blew that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That'll minister to them, won't it? It really will. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. Tell your children, follow me as I follow Christ. And you set that example for them. Put yourself out there. Okay, moving on in the passage. This is where it gets really creative. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Go ahead and flip to the next slide. You may have seen this, the one with the Jewish guys. Yep, there we are. You may have seen um, Jewish people wear these, f- wear these on their head, and it has scripture on them. They tie a strap around the wrist that probably has 10. I'm not going to count them right now. Um, you know, they, they literally bind them between their eyes on their forehead. They literally put them on their arms. They literally put them on their door. This, this um, uh, symbol here is a symbol that we use at the Corhorn household. Um, we got it in Israel. It's a mezuzah. It has a piece of Deuteronomy 6 in it. We do that as a reminder and a prayer. When we, when we walk in, we kind of touch it with our two fingers like the Jewish people do and kiss it, S- symbolizing God. May this be a house of prayer. May this be a house that honors you, kind of when we walk through that door. Uh, we don't, you don't have to do it. We just kind of do it for fun. Um, but the Jewish people wear these things, and I don't know if anybody ever seen an Orthodox Jewish person. During the prayer times, they will actually, and you might have seen the Western Wall, they're kind of doing this thing. Do you know why they do that? So I saw one guy really going at it, and I'm like, man, he's like a headbick. And um, the reason why they do it is because that symbolizes a candle and the light flickering as a worship to the Lord. So when it flickers more, they're like really blowing in the Lord's wind there, I guess. But that's why they do this, is to show I'm burning for the Lord. And uh, they wear these things. If, they wanna, if you want to wear these things, fine, fine. But I think the Lord had something a little deeper in mind than actually just putting those on you. Um, let me hop over to the passage here. Let's see. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Hand symbolize work. You're bringing the Lord into work, your work ethic, the way you work, the way you carry out your duties, to carry out your functions in life, parenting, etc., uh, work on the factory line, whatever you do. Uh, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You're keeping your focus on the Lord 
in your life. It's on your, he's on your mind. Uh, you should write them on your doorposts of your house and your gates. Just reminders. These are all outward reminders, perhaps, of a thing that's going on inwardly. To have money outside, but to be a mess on the inside is kind of what Jesus taught, isn't it? You look good on the outside. You're all cleaned up. You, your, your tombstone looks beautiful, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. God wants you to work on the heart. How are you doing inside? Uh, a lot of legalism uh, I've seen in this area. They do stuff like, nothing wrong necessarily with tattoos, not speaking against them, but they'll, they're such a mess on the inside, so they'll start doing these outward things in order to look good and to let everybody know, I'm an awesome Christian. And they'll put Facebook posts with Bible words, I'm an awesome But you know them. You know it's not getting inside of them. The Lord wants it to be inside your heart, burning in your mind and in your heart and in your resources. So in conclusion, a couple points if you could walk away today. Lessons from parenting. One, let a love for the Lord start with you. Be vulnerable. If you don't love him, if you're not passionate for him, he already knows. Get before him sometimes. Say, God, I don't really care about you. Help me care about you. Maybe you start there. That's great. Let a love for the Lord start with you. You set the example to your kids, your grandkids. In a marriage where maybe a believer is not a Christian, set that example before them. Don't let them control the spiritual temperature because they're spiritually dead. You, spe- you set the spiritual temperature. Don't have to be forceful and rude, but love the Lord. Love him with all your heart. Don't let that spouse become the center of your heart. That's for the Lord and the Lord alone. So number one, let a love for the Lord start with you. Number two, let that love for the Lord overflow. How do you disciple your kids? Talk about it through your day. Let them see your passion for the Lord. When you're inconsistent, when you're a hypocrite, when you blow it, confess it. But let that love that you have in your heart, as you get filled up with the Lord, that love, that passion, that, those thoughts that ruminate in your mind, share them throughout your day with your kids. Talk about it. Now, lastly, this is a command to Israel. God's not a hippie. Where God says, oh, if you feel like doing it, doing it, do it, go ahead. God says, these words shall be. These are commands for the Jewish people. Because what God didn't want to have happen, if you read farther in Deuteronomy, he knew they were going to go into this awesome land. And the land would be filled with milk and honey, is what he used. In other words, it's a great land to live in. You are going to be so blessed in this land that you'll be tempted to forget about me. So he commanded them, you've got to teach them these things so that when the going gets good, they don't forget who the Lord is. It happened to Israel. Many generations didn't teach who the Lord was. May that not happen with our generation. May we be the ones who pass the love for the Lord to our kids and our grandkids as well. May we be involved in what he wants us to be about. Henry Verily, Verily, it was a great evangelist. He once told D.L. Moody, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him or set apart to him. Moody pondered this. And he thought, you know, with God's help, I want to be the man that's totally sold out to the Lord. May we not do it for a claim, but may we be that man for our sakes our walk with the Lord, but also for the sakes of our kids and our grandkids and those around us. 
So that's a message from uh, Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema. That's unfolded, unpacked. That's what the Lord's teaching in this passage. I ask this week, contemplate this a little bit more. Consider, what, how does the Lord want you to apply this in your setting, in your situation, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you don't call us to Hail Marys and to our fathers and religious baggage and religious duties that are exhausting. You call us to love. You call us to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our resources. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You do not put a heavy weight on us. But nonetheless, it is challenging. Father, help us to start right where we're at. You know we're broken. You know we're imperfect. You said we are imperfect. Father, I ask that you do a work in us, that we would be the people who would live out this great passage, that we wouldn't be religious about it, putting stuff all over our bodies and our foreheads and stuff, but that would be in our hearts and our minds, on our tongue. Father, for your glory, and because we love our kids and we love our grandkids, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to transition to baptism. And if you have a child, this is going to be a little bit of an awkward time, but that's okay. Awkward is awesome. Uh, if you have a child back in the, in the rooms back there, or I think they might be dismissed, or in the nursery, we want this to be an all-church thing. Um, good for children to see this and us as well. So we want everybody to come in. So go ahead and grab your kid and come back in the service. Make sure to hand them the tag.